This podcast is made possible with support from Audix, makers of professional vocal, studio, and instrument microphones and headphones. Performance is everything. Learn more at audixusa.com. Hey, it's Larry Crane. Welcome to the Tape Bop Podcast. We're rolling. Take aim. We're rolling. Take over time. In 2002, for issue 27 of Tape Op Magazine, I visited Jim Eno and Britt Daniel of the band Spoon at Jim's converted two-car garage studio in Austin, Texas, to talk about making records. It's now 20 years later, and Spoon's 10th album, Lucifer on the Sofa, is out. I talked to Jim about his public hi-fi studio, the multi-story building that replaced his garage, Spoon's new album, and gender inequality in the studio over Zoom. Enjoy. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, dude. How you been? I've been really good. You know, uh, despite the pandemic, we've stayed pretty busy here at Jackpot. That's good. You know, and yeah. I've been doing lots of mixing projects remotely for people, which is oh, good. Super. Always the same as it always was, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I I tried to do a lot of mixing, and you know, some of it I you know I could do I could do a bit. I did a lot more than I usually do, but man, everything was just completely shut down for me. So yeah, I mean, you're really public hi-fi is more of a well, not more of, but it's a great tracking room. You know? Yeah, exactly and right. Yeah. That's what you got, you know, if you think of how people are budgeting their records or their time, a lot of times it would be like tracking, you know, in a nice space is more important than mixing in a nice space or, or right, such. Right, exactly. Too, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. So it was, uh, I mean, it was um, obviously pretty rough for all of us and and everything, but uh, yeah, if things are looking a little better or they were until <laughs> no. December, but, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. Don't count on anything, right? I know exactly. Right. Oh my gosh! Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, we've we've known each other a long time at this point, I guess. But uh, you know, I remember coming by to interview you and Britt uh, when the studio was the refurbished or just the garage, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And then uh, I think I was came by and said hi to you guys like right when the studio had just opened. Oh, uh, that's new, right. Yeah. The new version, I think. Yeah. You know, yeah. what? how many years ago was it that you were able to get public hi-fi, the fancy version open? The fancy version <laughs> was probably like 2005, I guess, or seven, right wow. around, you know, right around there. So it's been a while. It's been that long. That's... Yeah. When did, when did we talk to you for the first tape up? Oh, gosh. You know, it was during a South by... Yeah, that was like the high. That was like the highlight of my engineering career. Was that one issue? It was great. Everyone was, always asked me about that. It was quite a while ago, obviously. Yeah. I mean, yep. Wow, it's crazy to think, you know. I know. I, I know. I'm always in shock. <laughs> yeah. Time um, flies, Larry. It does. It does. Well, what you know? What has the career path been like for the for public hi-fi? You know and. Like we were just mentioning, like you had a great tracking room. Mm-hmm. Um, what, you know, actually, well, this would be the best question. I've never really asked you this question. What was the impetus to take it from just more of a private little studio for you to do spoon records and in, into something bigger like that? Yeah, well, I was always, you know, I, ha- I had a day job. So I have an electrical engineering degree. So I was working at motorola digital equipment corporation a bunch of startups doing like uh, low power microprocessor design and spoon was taking off and i'm touring and i'm keeping both you know my day job it while i'm touring which is pretty uh pretty amazing i was able to do that um and uh i decided that like it, it just never made sense to me to quit um, my day job to just be a drummer, you know, right. I, I felt like I had to have diversification and I had to have ways to make money in, in different ways. If Brit's writing, you know, writing the next record, I need things to do, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so couple that with 
the fact that I love being in the studio, mm-hmm. you know, and, and also I wanted to build a place where if I was touring, um, another outside engineer could come in while I'm on the road. So then I'm actually can make a little money while I'm touring, you know? Yeah. Little, just inst- And the old place was very much just for you guys to work out of. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, it was it was literally a two car garage, one room. You know that with a closet that yeah. was an ISO booth where <laughs> right. Britt had to like be on his hands and knees in order to do any overdubs in there. You know, <laughs> um, but this is this is like a real proper space. Yeah. And we've had some insane people come through here too. Um, we had like uh, the Jonas Brothers in here, um, like over ACL of last year and everything. Wow. So it's pretty great. Wow. What what kind of, what like initially, what were some of the bigger projects that came through when you opened? Uh, like Arcade Fire was pretty big. Wow. You know, when they when they came in, they, they I think, um, I think it was around uh, Katrina times and uh, mm-hmm. they they sort of were outside of New Orleans and needed some place to work. And um, yeah, so they did some stuff here. Um, you know, another early one was, uh, so Charlie Sexton works out of here quite a bit. Nice. And um, he was working on a record with Justin Timberlake. So they did probably like two weeks here in wow. in the, the early days. So. Yeah, I know Tony Visconti was doing records there too. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did a record with Tony, um, yeah. uh, the uh, Alejandro Escovedo record. Right. And uh, yeah, I was, that was a, oh man, like I was sitting outside checking email and I'm like, oh my God, Tony Visconti just sent me an email and I'm like <laughs> freaking the hell out. And then I'm like, oh my God, Tony Visconti wants to talk on the phone, you know? So I talked on the phone about the project and he was like, hey, so do you have a house engineer? And I'm like, well, Tony, you know, I've read your book and you engineer, don't you? And he's like, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't do that anymore. And I'm like, oh crap. And I'm like, I'll engineer. He's like, okay, that's cool. Yeah. I like what you do. So you know, Man. and so I engineered the whole project with him. It was unbelievable. What a great guy! Yeah, a really, a really great person, and and so talented. And oh my god! And yeah. then you're given Alejandro. I mean, yeah, you know, undeniably yeah, ridiculous great songwriter. So yeah, and wow. you know, having like dinners with Tony, just talking about you know just certain things either out of his book or I've always had this like theory that I talked to Tony about where. You know, like Beatles records and T-Rex records, you hear these crazy sounds and you're like, well, I, I have a feeling that that was done for a reason, either covering something up or <laughs> because after all the bouncing of, of the rhythm section, they need some rhythm. So that's why the tambourine is the loudest, you know? Right, right. And Tony was like, yeah, that's totally true. A lot of early records like Mark Bolin, he would just be like, Oh, don't worry, Tony. I'll just, we'll do an amp crash there. No one will ever hear it. No one will ever hear that. <laughs> hide the mistake. Yeah. When I was yeah, a kid. Yeah, hiding the mistakes. Yeah. I always thought that fade outs on songs when I was a kid meant that someone made a mistake like right after it disappeared. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the drummer dropped a stick. Right? Exactly. Yeah, let's get out before that. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. So the, the new uh, Spoon record, Lucifer mm-hmm. on the Sofa, is coming out real soon. Probably, yeah. probably by the time this podcast is out, it'll be. Yeah. Have you listened available. to it? Uh, yeah. I just got it today and I've listened to it oh, like four okay. times at the studio. Oh, cool. What do you think? I think it, it sounds really cool. It's it's oh, cool. a really a rock record for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. A lot of it. Totally. Uh, yeah. And I thought that was just, I thought it was, I know that was kind of a result of uh, touring the previous record, Hot Thoughts, and, and sort yep. of yep. trying to figure out how to put those songs on stage, right? Yeah, yeah. A lot of it had to do with the fact that we did Hot Thoughts more in a traditional fashion of overdubs and things like that. And we realized once we started playing all the songs live, they took on a life of their own and they they sort of became something better, you know? Mm -hmm. So we wanted to try to work in that way. So rehearsing a lot, tracking together, that kind of stuff in order to, you know, just have something more real and more raw, you know? Yeah, it definitely has got some crazy good energy. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm pretty jealous of the room tone on your drums. Oh, cool, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's here. That's oh here, my yeah. gosh. You know, that makes yeah. sense after being in the space. I'm like, yeah, that's that's what you get.
know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You like just um, a mic like up, up, up top high. on the catwalk and compress it a little bit. But um, we work with Mark Rankin on this record. Right. And he is, he's great with, you know, big drum sounds and things. He, you know, his drum sounds were, were amazing. And uh, yeah, pleasure to work with. I, I love that guy. So he was, was he co-producing with you guys? And enge- yeah. Enge- and mm-hmm. engineering, of course. And engineering. Yeah. Um, I mean, but on the record, like he, he would, he would engineer while he's here. And then like, obviously we all have our own places. And mm-hmm. so, you know, there would be work happening at Brit's place. When Mark wasn't here, we would do stuff at public hi-fi, you know, mm-hmm. so it was just happening all over the, all, right. all over the place. But Right. Um, How did you pick Mark to work with on this record? Uh, let's see. Um, I think we were, oof, great. We may have to edit this, Larry. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember if Britt worked with him before or not. Um, but I know we used him. We did like a trial session with with Mark where he just came in and um, uh, we did a, a couple tracks with him. And he was like awesome to work with. Really like, I don't know, we've worked with a lot of producers and, you know, there are certain producers that feel like any record they work on is theirs, you know? And as opposed to the bands and (laughs) Mark is, Mark is, you know, doing everything to make the best record for the band, you know, and me as a, me as a producer, I like, I can look at the good things that I've learned from producers and not do the bad things. And I feel like that is a major thing about being a producer is just being able to, you know, not take things personally and, and try to get the best uh, record you can for the band. Yeah. I mean, I think we've all been on a journey of that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. owning these studios and, and all that kind of stuff. Cause it, it is the, the indefinable part of learning how to make a great record for your own band or for your other bands, other artists. Exactly. Exactly. And being in a, being in a band, I feel like that is a benefit, um, uh, on my producer side because, you know, I didn't just come up engineer and then try to produce and stuff like that and figure it out on my own. I, I could actually work with a lot of really, really great producers and, and some bad ones. So I know what to do and what not to do. At least I try. <laughs> what would be the, what would be a, a takeaway from someone you felt wasn't, you know, was bad in quotes or not working as well for what you're doing? <clears throat> And I don't want to, well, we don't need to mention names, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I just feel like we've, we've had, we've had uh, instances in the past where, um, you know, Spoon has a sound, you know, we have certain <laughs> things that we like, you know, yeah. and um, <clears throat> we've worked with producers that, you know, um, I don't know, they can't get behind that sound maybe, and they get frustrated and, uh, you know, they maybe sort of think it's more of a, about them than opposed to, uh, than about us, you know? Um, I mean, it's going to say spoon on the record, so, you know, <laughs> it's ours. <laughs> I know there's always been a sound. I mean, from the very beginning, yeah. uh, working with John way back and stuff, even like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's, there's always been a certain tonality, you know, I've even even remember asking you one time, like, "How do you get that drum sound?" And you're like, "What?" <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's the way I'm playing. I guess you know, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's there's just certain personalities to the to the records and to the sound. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, you know, um, and then and then you work with a producer and engineer like Mark, and he gets it. You know, yeah. there are certain there are certain things where we'll be like, I don't know if we're really feeling that, you know, is there too much low end or something? And he's like, oh, totally, totally. You know, it's like he makes changes to try to make us happy, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And I also feel that's a benefit of like, um, I don't know, I I can be there and like sort of use a little bit of the engineering lingo when it comes to some of the things that we're hearing. So to steer him in the right direction. Right. Is it nice for you to have some, always have someone else helping and doing the engineering and be able to just be a drummer when you're making yeah. a spoon record. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is a, a, a really nice. I mean, I, I feel like it's a a different mindset to be in. I'm I'm not good at um, producing and playing drums on the same song. You know, um, yeah. I do that. I do that sometimes with artists I work with, and 
you know, it just sort of throws me into a different place, you know. Um, I, I tend to, you know, be like, oh, boy, that damn snare drum right there. It's just, I don't know, it's late, you know, or whatever. Right, why right. did Why did I do that fill, you know? And, and yeah. when I'm producing, I have, like, so much better perspective because I could tell a drummer, like, nah, don't, just drop that kick drum or something. I can hear it a lot easier than if I'm playing it. Yeah, I, I found it. I, if I'm mixing something I played bass on, I always turn the bass like too loud or too quiet. I yeah, exactly. I can't, I can't, totally. I can't, totally. I never feel right. I, never, I know. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, it's real strange. I know. I'm mixing something now and I'm like, oh, the drum's too loud or whatever. So one thing, one thing that I do is I try to have people I can send mixes to. Do you do that? Do you ever... Just like, you know, a, fr- like how- a friend or a mentor? Yeah, yeah. well, someone, because, you know, like, we're in our little yeah. bubble here, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. And it, you send it to someone, and they may be like, man, the, you know, the vocal's a little too loud. And you're like, boom, yeah, you're right, you know? Um, I don't know. It's an idea I had, yeah. like, we should get a little group together that, you know? <laughs> Pass them around. <laughs> yeah, be like, okay, is anyone ha- does anyone have a non-attended session today? You yeah. know, we could just be like, here comes a mix. <laughs> Let me know what you think. I need help. You know, I know. So it, it's just. I hope that the artists usually send me in the right direction, and I'll, you know, I'll, we'll kind of push that, push and pull on that. You know. Yeah, but this is. I'm talking like yeah, even before we send it to the right, artist, right? You right. know, like I like to get it to a certain point where I'm excited about it, and like you know, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is it. But you know, there's times where you don't really hit that point. You know, you're like, oh, there's something about it. You know, and. um so I do like getting yeah. like um, fresh ear checks, you know, even even with the artist, you know, it's really good to bring them in right. before I've automated and all that stuff so that, um, you know, they can be like, hmm, I don't know if you're, you know, hitting this because of, of that, you know, they can they can right. uh, have a different perspective. It It is so different. Like I've been, we talked about earlier, I've been doing a lot of unattended mixing, you know, over the last 15 years, you know? Yeah, right. Exactly. And it's. I, it's so different when someone's in the room, when the artist yeah. is in the room with you. Yeah. Uh, even if they're there from the beginning or even if they just come in at the last, you know, stages and kind of – sometimes I feel like you just read their motion in the room. Exactly. Exactly. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I love the – I love when an artist comes in like right when I'm ready to automate. Because I can still yeah. make like broad stroke changes, mm-hmm. but then you know they're already at, at a, they hear it at a point that I'm excited about it, and hopefully, hopefully that's a good point, you know. Yeah, <laughs> the, the good <laughs> things are happening. Exactly you know? right. Yeah, well, yeah. What was the process like for for doing uh, uh, Lucifer? Was it was it like concerted like certain days of just of the band like live bandish tracking, and then take it away or? Was it done? Well, in I mean, it was. I, I mean, you know how it is. It's like yeah. we're working on a couple different songs at the same time. Right. Um, but we would be doing, you know, working up the the songs as band as a band, you know, and figuring out parts and everything, mm-hmm. and then get it to a point where we think we can start rolling tape and then start, you know. So a lot of the re- what we would call rehearsal is really happening at the studio since. Yes, exactly right. Yeah, since, sort of that- like. Pre, pre-production into yeah. recording, you know? Yeah. Is that just because it, that's a perfect luxury of being a stu- the studio owner or is it is it just a nice, like a more fresh way to work for you? Yeah, I think we wanted to do this to try to like get, you know, it further along, sort of like how we were playing Hot Thoughts Live, mm-hmm. you know, to get it to a point where, you know, I don't know. I always feel like, you know, when you track a new song and you sort of, it's really, really fresh and new, um, sometimes like in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, here's a chorus is the verse or is the bridge next, you know? And so you have that right. in your mind. Right. And I feel like once you get to a point where you know the song so well, that's when the things, you know, feel more relaxed mm-hmm. and you can get creative and, and, and stuff like that. So at least for me, it was good to, you know, play like that and to get out of, you know, out of that mindset. Feels all right to me Standing here by my 
myself Photograph with no correction For me or anybody else I could dream a thousand dreams Nothing could measure up To being out here just needing nothing Living on no one else I feel the night doing like a few songs a day kind of deal for, for basic tracking or uh or yeah sometimes we would spend uh, yeah sometimes we would spend like um i mean we we would work uh with mark for maybe like i don't know a week or so mm -hmm. maybe a little bit longer and we would probably work on maybe three or four songs hopping back and forth maybe two days per song you know yeah. that kind of thing yeah yeah you know, once you hit three days on a song, you sort of like, you got to move on, you know, regardless of where you are, you know, it's just like, oh, oh I know, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's a mental thing hearing the damn thing over and over, no matter yeah, totally. what, how totally. excited you were at the beginning, you're not going to have that by the Exactly. Day. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You get a little fatigued with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I've done like mixing projects where you spend like about a day and a half per song and it's like, yeah, it's really hard to keep. It, it can be rewarding, like if you're working with Jason Lytle or somebody, but it yeah. can be really daunting to just keep a fresh ears going, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I was doing records like with attended mixes where it was like one a day, mm -hmm. and, th and those were good, but man, sometimes like you're pushing whether you can get it done in a day, and like, you know, that's a grind sometimes, you know? like. Yeah. My pandemic mixing, I don't know about you, but it's it's like I usually <laughs> leave a little bit more, leave time, you know. Leave it up for a while. Yeah, leave it up yeah. for a while, you know, and like, I don't know, do this thing where like I put a loop on and I listen to the track and I lay on the couch for like 15 minutes, you know, and then, I don't know, then all of a sudden I'll jump up and I ha I'll have like, you know, five or six things I know I have to work on and then right. boom, I get another hour in there and... You know, I don't know. I tell I tell people when they're trying to you know learn this, I say you know the, the best mixing is, is very it's just intuitive. You're not you're not you're not uh, you know thinking it through in a real logical critical way. You're you're just yeah. all of a sudden feeling that you, that you need to change something. Exactly. Yeah. Or like when you when you can flip your brain into being more of a listener, mm -hmm. then I've, I've found that like you're listening to the track and then things will pop out. You yeah. know, that you're like, oh, wait, that doesn't really work. Wait, uh, I need to compress that or, or EQ it or something because it's just not not working yet, you know? Absolutely, man. And everyone, there's always a, some point in interviews where someone will say, well, you know, I like to go down the hallway and have it playing or, you know, like get yeah. out of the same room as the where the mix is playing. Yeah. And, and I think part of it's just that, too, because it sort of disassociates, disassociates you from the process exactly so, right yeah, yeah totally totally it sure seems to help for me i don't know yeah me too <laughs> me too yeah yeah oh my god what you've got a, a beautiful neve console if i remember right right mm -hmm. yeah yeah what series yep. is that um let's see i have 1064 modules i think i think the official number is an 8016 mm -hmm. um so i have 24 1064 modules it only has um like Four sends, two fullback sends, and eight buses. Wow! And it and in mixing, bus one and two is is the mix bus. So you really in mixing, you only have six right buses. Right. Um, but since since you've seen it, I, I have a like a brand new monitor section. So the monitor section is brand new. That uh, Fred Hill, mm -hmm. who's a great tech out of, uh, I mean, he's like the Neve tech out of um, Nashville, right. designed for me. Um, and then I was actually toying with the idea a few years ago about getting a new board because, you know, mix, mix projects, you know, having 24 inputs just doesn't really <laughs> cut it anymore, you know? So I called Fred and I'm like, hey, what do you suggest I get? And he's like, hmm, um, I have uh, about 32 channels of Leon Russell's console uh, from 1975, his API console sitting 
in my shop. And um, I think I could probably get some channels for you. And, and he's like, uh, so we do all the math and everything. He's like, I could do 16 channels easily and 24 channels, and that would be hard. And I'm like, let's do 24 channels. So I have 24 channels of Leon Russell's API where my patch bay was. Wow. And it's fully integrated, so I could use like, you know, API on, you know, snare top and Neve on snare bottom or whatever. You know, everything is sort of. So uh, it shunts into the bus, the, mm-hmm. the left right bus on the. Exactly. The yeah. It, it goes into either yeah. one, two, and three and four. So right. I tend to do drums on the API side, bus it to three and four, you know. Um, but yeah, it's great. Man, it's pretty that's the amazing. best of both worlds, right? Yeah. So I have 48 <laughs> channels of EQ. Um, 24 API and 24 Neve. So, oh man, okay. And then my and then my monitor section is available for mixing too. So I have another 24 inputs for um like effects and things. Exactly. Yeah, and just whatever yeah. random fun stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Especially now so. with you know if you're if you're tracking in Pro Tools, you you can have all these little stereo odds and ends that you need. to Oh, bring totally. In. Yeah. Exactly. You yeah. Know. It's way different yeah. than the tape days. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. Are you still working on tape or running tape decks for sessions at all? Um, not really. No. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know. Um, so I do this thing with the University of Ohio. I do a production class with them. A bit, this is my sixth year that I've done it. Yeah. And and I do a um, like a, a couple of sessions. I get Austin bands and stuff like that, but. Um, I do a live to two track session with them all the time. So this year I did a live to two track session on my um, ATR 102. And I also did a um, sort of like live band to my four track Mm -hmm. um, ATR 104 half inch. So that was really cool. Um, But, you know, normally I don't, I don't go to tape. It's, um, I don't know. It's, it's a little... A little bit difficult. I don't know. Do you do tape anymore? I'm looking right at the damn tape decks. You know, kind of rarely, especially the last yeah. two years, obviously. It's been right, yeah. I've been doing less tracking sessions. But we we get some clients that are adamant about, you know, there was actually a session that was just in here in December that I wasn't on, but it was a completely analog session and it was coming from other studios. So we right, had to yeah. calibrate and and uh, and the engineer was mixing down to the quarter inch deck, I think, or something. Right. Yeah. So yeah. you know, we do get stuff because there's tape decks here. But I, you know, when I if I'm producing, same as you, I probably you know generally say you know we don't need to use tape, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I I don't think that's where the magic happens. No. No. I mean, I feel like the the benefit of tape. If I was going to do another tape session, it would be like. Um, this Heartless Bastards record I did where yeah. we did all the pre-production, then they went out for a month and opened up for drive-by truckers and only played the new record. <laughs> then they came in and we tracked it in probably four or five days. Yeah, right. And like I was the weakest link trying to get sounds and stuff like that. And as soon as I was ready, they would crush it, you know? I mean, that's the type of thing I think is good with tape where, yeah. you know, the band is so rehearsed, you know, I mean, you've probably done tape sessions where, you know, you get a take and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, that, uh, <laughs> kid, that kick drum's late, Jim, can you move it? You know, and it's just like, oh my God. You the, know? the worst were the, I think, I think that we're past this point, but the worst were the early ones where just as Pro Tools was getting into people's hands at home, like the, the, the Digi 001 era. Um, yeah. People would come in and they'd be like, I really want to record on tape, but they'd never done it. And then yeah. they would just start laying in tracks till we were full. Yeah. And then they were like, where are we going to put the vocal? You know, like you had, <laughs> yeah. you, you had to explain to them that that involves sort of a, you know, you sort that out in the pre-production. Not yeah, exactly. How are we going to do this, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, yep. like, how do we bounce the tracks down to ma- open up room and all those special tricks we used to do? Yeah. I think I think Ben Queller had the best tape analogy. He was like, yeah, I just did this record. It was all on tape, you know, no digital or anything. And he's like, I just felt like I was doing a Civil War reenactment, you know, like, <laughs> why, you know, like, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> you know, why am I putting these clothes on? Like, OK, I have to load this musket. Why? You know, like, 
I don't know. I thought that was a great, great analogy. That is really funny. <laughs> it just takes, it just takes, you know, like, I don't know. I'm just used to the speed of, of digital now. And also the, the stuff I tend to work on is, is more, um, uh, is more on the sort of digital side anyway, you know? So how do you, uh, in, in what way do you mean just how it has to be well, worked with? Yeah, like you're doing a lot of stuff where you're sort of recording and pre-pro at the same time, Mm -hmm. you know, like a guy, uh, Walker Lukens, I work a lot with him and, you know, he'll bring his demo in, but then it's sort of like just free form, you know, just sort of like going, going for different ideas and then you're building it up and, you know, that, that really lends itself well to, to digital. Right. clip of, of Brian Eno doing his first album, Here Come the Warm Jets, and doing o- overdubs. And there were all these sounds going on that I don't hear on the record. And I was like, man, oh. that was like 16-track tape, I'm pretty sure. And he's having oh, to right. like, you know, maybe record over that to get that other idea down that yeah, becomes more exactly important. Right. And you're like, oh, yeah. man, that would be kind of cool to see, to have all those ideas there to mess with, you know? Right, exactly. I think one thing that would help me to move back onto tape was I have a Studer 827. If I could get like a 16-track headstock for that, you know? Yeah. Or they also do that, um, you know, nine-track. So it's the eight-track with the Simpty track. Oh, really? You know, on two-inch tape. Oh, yeah. That's monstrous. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think like if I had that, you know, if anyone has anyone sitting or any, any head stacks sitting around, they want to send got, my way. I've got Otari's MX-80s and I have a 16-track and a 24-track set up and ready to go. Yeah. See, that's cool. You know, yeah. like it's 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 a lot more character than the Studer, you know? Yeah. So, Definitely. Uh, you you get more you get more like you know vibe bang for the buck than I do with the Studer. The, you know? the eight twenty seven I've only worked on one once and it, it's such a beautifully designed machine, intelligent. You know, yeah. The biasing, oh my god. But yeah, uh, it it was like the I did a walkabouts record on one up at, in Seattle at Litho, and it was it was like the first time I used a tape deck and went, I don't hear the tape deck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It was so yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. I went from a, an MM1200 to oh, the yeah, Studer. Was that a yeah. 16 track, that first one you had? I had both heads. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. 16 and 24. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I was a little bit bummed, you know. I think if I was doing tape transfers, I'd, I'd rather have the 
the 827. Yeah, totally. It handles tape so gracefully and it gets all exactly, the yeah. sound off the tape. Exactly. But, uh, it's nice and rock solid, yeah. Yeah, but you know, these these old 16-track two inches and stuff are pretty fun. There's a little thickness to the drum tracks. Exactly. And oh, yeah, like totally. totally. I always yeah. feel that. Man, I love that. Um, so I was told to ask about some sort of incubator you're doing for female producers and engineers oh, yeah, or something. Right, right. What, what, is, yeah. what is this project? So, I'm so, so this, this, yeah, this happened during the pandemic where, yeah. um, you know, I told you about the University of Ohio thing I do, like mm -hmm. production class, and, you know, I've, I've done talks at UT and, and stuff like that. I, I really like mentoring, you know, and I like teaching and things like that. Um, so, I was looking for something, you know, else to do, and um, I read a statistic during the pandemic, and this isn't exactly what it was, but it was on the order of like, if you look at all the producers and engineers in the U.S., there's only, of that number, only about 5 or 10% of them are women. Right. And I was like, man, that is like bullshit, you know, like I, <laughs> you know, that doesn't make any sense to me because, yeah. you know, I've produced a ton of really talented women and I don't think that it's a big stretch to go from being a musician to being a producer. You right. know, I'm I'm a drummer and I am, you know, dangerous on keys. You probably don't want to get me near them. But <laughs> I, and I produce records, mm -hmm. you know, I produce a lot of records and I have fun doing it. So, you know, the idea of a musician hopping over into the production side to me is sort of a no brainer. So... I started this thing called Project Traction, and it's basically the idea is to give women and non-binary musicians traction into the recording and producing field. So I picked eight uh, friends of mine, musicians here in Austin, um, that I've worked with, and um, I'm co-producing a track with each of them where uh, we pick the band and then we do pre-production and then we do like two days in the studio and then I'm mixing it. Yeah. So what this does is it is it um, sort of uh, uh, shows like the idea that it's not a big stretch to get into producing. Um, and um, it also allows them to work at a great studio, you know, work um, with me and get ideas if they, you know, to bounce ideas off of me and see how I work. Yeah. Um, and also just to get a credit too, to get a production credit. And hopefully this will be a stepping stone to have them continue uh, into this field because, you know, like I said earlier, the diversification of being a musician is really important. So if you're a musician, you sh could be producing, you could be writing, you could be doing all these different things. So, you know, um, after this project, the you know, this is the first of many, hopefully, um, uh, there will be, you know, eight new female producers working here in Austin, you know, which I think is right. a pretty awesome thing. It's something, instead of like... Um, a focus group or a, a, a survey or whatever. I, I, it's something that I felt like this is something really practical and this is something where maybe I can help make a difference and pump this number up because, you know, it really should be 51% women, 49% men. You know, Larry? <laughs> Please. <laughs> yeah. You, you I know, know, I mean, a lot of my career has been spent working in the studio with really talented women, you know? Yeah, and right, yeah. Our first intern was was Joanna Bolme from the Jicks. Oh you yeah, know? Mm -hmm. and you know me and Elliot when we started the place, and and my studio manager Kendra Lynn is a incredibly talented mixing yeah. engineer. She's worked with Brit on some of your stuff, even mixing yeah, things right. years ago. Yep. And mm -hmm. uh, so you know, I mean, it's I I see that I work with a lot of female led bands. You know. Yeah, you know, totally. Over, me too. Yeah, and I was in a band with that was had a female singer, female guitarist in the eighties and nineties. You know, and and yeah. uh, to me, that's my comfort zone. In fact, a lot of the projects I've done in the last year or two have been like female led bands and and exactly, sessions yeah. and stuff. And yeah, yeah, it's it's really fun. You know, it's 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 fun. I I I love the balance. I don't like uh, t t I don't like like sort of male. Uh, I don't know, you know, 
I have a hard time on some like all male sessions if it's too mm-hmm. masculine. Yeah. If that yeah, makes sense. Right. Yeah. 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 Totally. I get it. I you get know, it, yeah. if there's like jokes about certain body parts or whatever the things right. are, I don't know, <laughs> sexual orientation, yeah. whatever they think is funny. Yeah. I've right. been mortified, you know, to be on some right. of those. And I find with, with a gender balanced session, it's really, it's really fun. You just get, I don't know, you, you see a different creativity and you see a lot of great things happen. And I would love exactly, to see yeah. more. I, I, I totally agree with you. There was a session I was working on recently with a, an artist I've worked with a number of times. And I was like, you should start producing people. Like, yeah, you right. get it. You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. She was like, what? <laughs> you know, no, no, you <laughs> yeah. could do it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, right now, I mean, I don't know when this is coming out, but like we have the eight artists, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I think I'm done with mix three, you know, and five are recorded. I'm doing like tracking the other three here coming up in a couple of weeks. So, you know, we're going to be announcing it soon, but yeah, it's, it's something I've been, um, you know, pretty excited about lately. Good. That's really cool. Yeah. That's how did you choose the, the artist, the producer artist that you work with? Well, sort of like you, like what you were saying, it's just, I've, I've worked with so many great female artists right. that, you know, um, and I'm, you know, I'm like, Hey, you should, you should be producing, you should do this. And so I would even, even, um, let's see, there's a, uh, like a artist, her name is Gina Chavez here in Austin. And like, I had never really worked with her, but I just felt like, you know, she's, you know, tours all over the world. She's like, you know, she's sort of a badass here in Austin. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. you know, I need to get her involved because I know that, you know, she's probably, this is probably right up her alley, you know, and um, as far as being able to move into this part of the, of, of her career, you know, and, and I'm not saying like all these women would just be producers from now on. It's (laughs) just, like I said, it's, it's about the diversification of it, you know? Yeah. Um, And also the thing about producing that I've noticed is like, you can you can do a lot of um, pre-production and work on a lot of projects at the same time. You know, you can do a lot of upfront work. So, um, it, because you can be like, hey, I got your demo. Here are some ideas. Get back to me in a week. And, you know, right. so it isn't like if you're writing a song where you have to write all these different parts. You <laughs> you can suggest that they need another part. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, oh, yeah. you go do it. Yeah. It's like it's like uh you know, YDI, you do yeah. it. It's opposite of DIY, you know. mythological old version of of making records where it's all just like very linear like the band goes into a rehearsal room and works a bit and then goes right to the studio and then works yep. you know really hard and then it gets mastered and it goes out and in a week you're touring somehow but it, it's it's really more like piecemeal all the time yeah isn't it? exactly this, exactly this world, yeah you know yeah so yeah. we're always managing a number of products projects right you know right exactly and also i feel like it's it's good to get some distance from projects too. It actually mm. makes you better at either mixing a project that you produced or, you know, like if you can if you can swap around where you track, get everything done, move on to a different project and then mix the first one, yeah. you just have a lot different perspective, better yeah. perspective. I think th- this is one of the few 
well, I guess every job maybe, but I feel like I'm always learning. And that's something Tony yeah, Visconti totally. told me once. He said that, he said, I love this job because I'm always learning something new. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's incredible. It's fascinating. Yeah. You know, what, uh, what kind of things is there, is there any kind of stuff you've thought about your studio that you're going to change or update or, or gear you want to buy really badly or, or uh, any kind of boy. just I mean, fun yeah, it's a long list, long <laughs> list, Larry, you know, uh, yeah. The 16 track know. head stack. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. One of those would be nice. Yeah. I don't know. I'm like, you know, th- looking at, uh, Atmos, you know, do I, I get right. into that, you know? Um, so, um, I can't you know, figure that's, out that world. I, I, I keep thinking like, I don't want to, ever put anything in like surround yeah and i just is it gonna last or is it just gonna not matter in five right exactly yeah yeah i know i know but we're getting you know asked to do those types of mixes Mm -hmm. and then also um uh bands i work with are asking for those types of mixes so you know maybe that's something that would that would help you know Mm -hmm. the business you know right um so yeah that's probably the <clears throat> that's probably the biggest thing I'm looking yeah. at. You're happy with like your Pro Tools system and converters and stuff like that these days? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it would be good to get a few more outputs, you know, mm-hmm. someday. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Pro Tools is fine. Um, I just bought a uh, Syntrax, you know that thing? It's like the old <sighs> Synthy. You know, Brian Eno. Oh yeah, Cynthia. Yeah, yeah. So that's pretty cool. One of the one of the most two pieces of gear that I've been most excited about yeah. lately is uh, the Zen Delay by Erica Systems, which is pretty badass. It's um, a delay and it has a tube in it for the distortion saturation. Um, but the filter, the filter it has is like it's like butter. It's it's amazing. It's so smooth really a very very musical delay like just the tone control of the the signal that comes back from it yeah just like the um it's it's more for an effect you can do like Mm -hmm. filter sweeps and things like that it has a high pass low pass band pass so but it also has a resonance point Uh um so you can get some pretty wild things um uh like really cool low-end stuff happening um and uh it has like saturation, has a ping pong, all the different things. It's mm-hmm. very simple, but I, I love the sound of it. It's really great. It's it's, um, it's amazing when the in the the plug-in world that we're in now that how much more important it sometimes feels to have hands-on effects units and stuff. You know, like a right, like a, exactly. Like I have yeah. a, one of those tube tape echoes. You know, the full tone. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, stuff totally. like that where you can just grab it and and wrestle it and make it. Yeah. Do, crazy sounds yeah and i love doing that too because i never i well i I wouldn't say never but i try not to use any time delays you know i try Mm -hmm. to just do it on the fly yeah because i think it's cool like after a couple repeats that it goes out you know so um and then the other piece of gear i've gotten recently is this pulsar 23 uh soma soma systems i mean it's it's a sort of a mutant drum machine kind of thing, but it has like these pins that expose internal parts of the circuit that you can do like circuit bending sounds with, but it's, it's really, really easy to sync up to Pro Tools and create like drum stuff fairly fast, but it has like infinite modulation possibilities and things like that, you know? For the simple thing of like doing like a sixteenth note hi hat that's modulated, right? It's right. like it's really really cool, you know. I wouldn't buy it just for that, obviously, right. but you know, it's a it's a it's a really cool box, and um, so those are the two things yeah. I've been been using a lot of. So I picked up a, a Mattel Synsonics drum machine a while back. Oh. Do you remember? Do you remember? No, that? I don't. No. Uh. Oh my God. It was like four little, it's plastic and four little gray pads that you can kind of whack really hard and it'll, it'll okay, make yeah, like these yeah. analog synth sounds. And <laughs> the kick drum is always just like doop, 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 oh, like a metronome. Right, right. It's just yeah, on yeah. or off. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> it's, but it's so fun if you can squeeze it into something. It's just the most messed up, unique sound, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
I think, awesome. I think those kind of tricks are pretty fun. Yeah, totally. Well, what projects do you have coming up at Public Hi-Fi? Uh, let's see. Well, I'm doing this uh, project traction stuff. So um, working on that, um, I'm working with a friend of mine. She's a producer in the project too. Her name's uh, Mary Claire Glazer and her project is called Heartwing and I'm, I'm working on that. Um, I've been just been doing a lot of mixing, you know, we got spoon touring coming up, which right. pretty excited about. Like we started working up, um, the songs and I feel like maybe because, uh, because we sort of worked so hard on the front end as a band, the songs came together like very, very fast. Um, you know, nice. we can play like maybe seven or eight of them live already which is pretty <laughs> exciting you know um so yeah we're, we're I'm cool. just really psyched to get back on the road it's been a while you know what i mean are you going to tour during through the summer and stuff yeah yeah we'll probably start um march april i think is mm. a big one and festival stuff happening in the fall you know awesome awesome yeah it's just amazing i'm so proud of you guys for keeping a band going this long and you know i think yeah it always felt like it was it was so uh, interesting early on to feel like it was kind of an aberration of a band for a town like Austin, you know, yeah, didn't didn't right. fit into the the rootsy scene, right? And now exactly, it's, yeah. You know, heralded as as one of the better musical exports. I feel. Oh, cool! Yeah, you know, and it's it's just awesome. Yeah, well, LP ten, man. You know, we're tenth <laughs> record. It's crazy. I never would have. I know. You know. Yeah. <laughs> oh my and, god. Um, and we we appreciate uh, all of your help and enthusiasm too. Tape well, op, we well, love tape op. So I, you guys have been just great to to know and and watch and see what's going on and and yeah. always great music. <laughs> totally, thanks, man. Thanks all so right, much. well, thanks for doing the podcast. Yeah, I love it. Thanks for listening. Find us online at tapeop.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time. I know I love you more I know I love you more